Hello and you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaft.net. Episode The Government's Plan to Reopen Schools. Well, it was like waiting for the Messiah, I imagine. I was uh, clicking the refresh button on my browser all day yesterday, sifting through the various rumours that were coming from the newspaper profits. And finally, at 6.01, presumably after the Angelus, there was uh, Michael or Michal, Norma and Josepha, the Holy Trinity, standing at their altars, ready to unleash their sermons. Yes, it was the day of reckoning. Could the government pull off a miracle? greater than the loaves and the fishes, and fully reopen schools. You're very welcome to the most religious uh, introduction you'll ever hear from me if I were the Minister for Education and this special episode where I review the plan for reopening schools. For those of you um, who aren't inside the education sector uh, or who are working in another country uh, other than the Republic of Ireland, um, or for those of you who are just simply interested in the Irish education system, um, my plan is to try and summarise what happened yesterday when uh, the government revealed their plan for reopening schools, or their roadmap, as they refer to it, for reopening schools, um, as quickly as possible. I'm going to try and see uh, through the various spin uh, that uh, doctoring that's probably gone on, and I'm going to see what life is really going to be like for anyone working in the primary school education system, at least for the next while, until it all falls apart and we're all back remote learning. Um, My name is Simon Lewis from Anshaw.net, and I'm very happy uh, to talk to you about my thoughts on the government's plan for the reopening of schools. Uh, For those of you who haven't listened to this podcast before, it's a weekly podcast where I put myself in the shoes of if I were the Minister for Education and I try and um, find a problem and see what I would do if I was in that position. However, sometimes I do some special episodes um, like this one where I just talk about something big that's happening in the world of education and I don't think anything is bigger than this particular one. I have never seen so much interest in Irish education as I did uh, over the last couple of days, and particularly after the announcement. Every radio show was covering it almost uh, morning to night. Um, basically, um, I suppose, the as with most things that happen in education, um, the results of it are fairly underwhelming and uh, come with a lot of paperwork. Um, our, this is no exception. Uh, the government basically released a load of documents yesterday, and um, so it might be very hard to summarise them very quickly. Uh, but my plan, I guess, is to do my very best to do that. I have nine pages of notes, uh, and I'm, on, I'm still on page one. I'm, uh, you'll be sorry to hear. So you could be with me for a good while. Uh, so do make a cup of tea or go on a very long drive uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get through this document this document series of documents together I might actually do a few episodes on the guidelines and try and actually suss out a few particular areas but for this particular podcast I'm simply going uh, to give my initial reaction uh, to the documents and try and summarize them as best I can uh, as well for those of you who aren't familiar with this podcast I focus entirely on primary education uh, so if you're looking for information about second level or the leaving cert or all that kind of stuff um, I don't know if anyone does a podcast on those but I'm sure they do um, so what I'm going to do as well just so you know is I've already done a podcast on the uh, NFET guidelines that came out a few weeks ago so I'm going to focus if they come up again because a lot of the um, information from those guidelines is repeated in these uh, in these return to work guidelines sorry return to school guidelines so uh, I might focus a little bit more on areas that we didn't know about and maybe slipped through the media um, uh, through the media's um, sort of coverage of it Um, I suppose for me um, the I I guess the the biggest highlight and I suppose the biggest unexpected highlight of uh, this return uh, to school plan was after over a decade of tireless campaigning that went nowhere um, and every, uh, 10 years of pure frustration, I imagine not only for the people trying to achieve it, but also for the people experiencing it, our stakeholders, our representative bodies finally, finally achieved their dream of getting teaching principles one day per week of administrative release time. And 
I guess for me, <laughs> if you were to headline, that was my headline of uh, this uh, series or suite of documents. I think I might start using their language. Um, anyway, we finally have one day per week for teaching principals to have administrative time. And all it took was a global pandemic that shut down school buildings for several months and the threat of them remaining closed for the foreseeable future. Now, I wonder, uh, the cynical side of me wonders what it might take for the government to finally fully restore posts of responsibility that were lost at the, uh, that were lost a good number of years ago. Anyway, for me, this sums up a lot of this plan. Essentially, the government have decided effectively for this part of the plan to fund education to levels that they probably and definitely should do in normal times, not pandemic times. It shouldn't take a crisis like this to afford teaching principals one release day per week. It shouldn't take a crisis to give schools adequate funding to keep their schools clean. And it shouldn't take a crisis to provide adequate substitute cover for teachers and SNAs that are on leave. Actually, it appears they mightn't have actually managed the last one there. But to be fair, the government had to get this plan right. They really did. And as much of as some of us might, might want me to say how terrible the whole plan is, I have to admit this plan isn't completely awful. That's the highest praise you're going to get from me. Yes, there's a lot of annoying things, such as the fact that there's the usual disparity between primary and post-primary, and that's still evident, especially with substitute cover. And yes, there's less than five weeks for this all to get sorted uh, in a time where principals still haven't had any um, recognition of the fact that they haven't had a break at all. And I know every, there's lots of people in worse situations. And yes, this could have gone further. But let's, let's just check what's good and what really needs to happen, um, and what I might have done if I were the Minister for Education. Okay, so let's start um, with the roll of the tongue, snappily titled document, COVID-19 response plan for the safe and sustainable reopening of primary and special schools, and see what's in there. It's only a 49-page document, uh, which is basically an update to a previous document that was released about a month ago for the summer programmes for children with additional needs. Um, you'd be uh, Back then, uh, the document um, basically covered uh, a little bit of what we might need um, uh, in terms of reopening schools. Um, and, uh, and basically what I'll do is I'm not going to summarise uh, anything in this that was in that previous document. If you want to hear... Um, uh, any of those. I'll refer to them here, but you'll need to listen to the last special podcast I did on reopening schools because I don't want to overlap and I could be here for days um, because there is a lot of documentation. So here's um, my quick-ish summary, let's say. So the biggest highlight of the document really is the appointment of a lead worker representative or an or what, as what's going to be known as LWR, which looks to me like lower, um, which is interesting because of the rate of pay. Um, anyway, I'll come to that in a second. And I think also we love our acronyms in the teaching world. LWR, uh, it sounds like a lovely um, acronym to me. Um, I'm sure we'll figure out some way of slagging it off in some way. Anyway, this appointment has huge responsibilities um, and effectively it's managing everyone and everything relating to COVID-19 in the school. So it's not the principal that's expected to be this person and the person that's hired for the job and I'm emphasizing the word hired for the moment it goes through an actual a fairly rigorous process of a popularity contest with the staff and um, basically in order to get this job you need to be voted by your colleagues uh, to do the job which is a very strange way of getting someone with such a such a responsible job and um, and then anyway, they're given a big list of things to do, which was in a particular appendix. The details are laid out in the document, but it's actually it's actually a formal position and has to be sanctioned by a board of management. Um, so obviously for something like this, uh, you'd expect the financial award for this position um, to be something akin to a post of responsibility or an AP2 or an AP1 even. But instead, uh, it is a princely sum of zero. It's actually a voluntary position. Well, you get 10 Croke Park hours for it, according to Appendix 3 of the uh, documentation. But every school also needs a deputy LWR in case the LWR is um, is uh, kind of um, indisposed. Sorry about the barking in the background there, um, if, if you hear it. I'm recording this in the same room as my dog. Um, and that was not a bark of disapproval of what I'm saying here. Uh, a window just shut unexpectedly and now he's growling at it. Anyway, the deputy LWR is also paid the same princely sum of zero in case the LWR gets sick or is not around. And in schools more than 30 staff uh, there's an assistant LWR who is um, a third person and you've guessed it they've also received a big fat paycheck of zero anyway 
looking um you can find out more about that uh, in the document anyway looking at the rest of the document nothing really really happens until section four section one two and three as you'd expect are just introductionary things rationale that sort of stuff uh, so you're about uh, 11 pages into it uh, and it's planning and preparing for return to school it includes an induction training which thus far has been a short and not particularly useful or fun webinar and i imagine that'll be similar to the one that the summer program people had to uh, look at when they're released um, they discuss a return to work form, which is the same as the one from the summer, and there's not going to be any sign. Uh, there is going to be uh, some signage for schools, uh, which has yet to be designed, so we'll have to wait for that. Um, and basically, there's not much more in that section. Section 5 is all about hand washing and sanitising with some details of what's expected and for example anyone entering the school building needs to perform hide hand hygiene with a hand sanitizer. There's also a section on physical distancing with links to illustration of classroom layouts which have been torn apart on social media uh, already uh, last uh, yesterday evening and today but in fairness if they didn't give uh, any illustrations people would be complaining too. Um, now the, the Department of Education are more than generous in terms of the average classroom size and, and Sometimes it's three times the size of an actual classroom, as uh, some people have said. Um, but they've tried to give some ideas in terms of classes. Uh, and um, I suppose, you know, it might be a good starting point for people who are starting from nothing. Some people might be confused about pods and bubbles because, uh, and that's something I've, I've come across on social media. What's a pod? What's a bubble? So I'm going to try and explain it because this is going to be part of most teachers' jobs. So I want you to think about your normal primary school classroom over the last 20 years or so. So in normal times, pre-pandemic times, PPT, if you will, children were usually uh, divided into groups. You know, your your um, you know, they were given names like your board Bui or your board Jarig, your board Gurm, and so on, or whatever. Or they could have given themselves fun names like the, the cool table and the all that kind of stuff. Anyway, these are now pods. Um, so now you will have a pod Bui, pod Jarig. I'm sure they'll come up with a better Irish word than uh, pod. And these uh, groups, or pods as they are now known together, um, become a bubble. So, or in normal English, a classroom. So your classroom is now called a bubble um, in, in NFET terms, and your pod are your little groups within that. So there you go, that's the explanation. One of the more um, controversial decisions in the document, though, after that, is the lack of compulsion to wear um, masks or face coverings or, or PPP in general. Um, Masks are, are considered a no-no as wearing, and this is uh, what the, quoting directly, wearing a face covering will conceal facial expression and make communication difficult. So they do concede, however, that a visor might be appropriate in some cases. Um, not wearing, for me, I'm kind of looking at this going, and I'm kind of thinking, for me, uh, just commenting on this, I think not wearing a mask might prove to be a major mistake on the government's behalf. Um, I mean, we've seen... Uh, that wearing a face covering um, internationally has been very effective in, in terms of not spreading the virus. And uh, schools, um, we mustn't forget that schools are places where several households, uh, members of a household, come together in one very small, unventilated place. And if no one is wearing a mask, I see that as a, as a, as a Petri dish problem. So I, anyway, it could be one of the swords that the government fall on, on the, in this case. There's um, a section on shared resources, which is the same as the one from the summer programme, and there's a section on cleaning of schools, which must be done once a day, which uh, I'll come to later on. Funding uh, does come for it, uh, as I said, so we'll have a look at that. And in fairness, it does go through the details fairly well. There's also a section very similar to the last document about what happens if someone uh, has the symptoms of COVID-19. Um, remember that schools will need to find a spare room uh, um, as an isolation room. In our case, we're going to be reconfiguring a toilet, um, which, you know, well, what is ideal, I guess? We don't, we don't, no, no school really has loads of spare rooms, uh, but uh, there we are. There's a section of uh, special education, there's a special uh, section for uh, children with special educational needs, uh, but it definitely needs a lot more detail. However, it is mentioned, which is something, I suppose, uh, because often, um, as we found in previous circulars and previous government guidance, uh, children with additional needs are not mentioned at all. Uh, I've said from the very start, the three big areas really uh, for uh, post-COVID-19 um, classrooms and schooling is we need uh, enough staffing, enough money and enough resources for special education needs. Um, and let's see how well they do on that. Uh, we do have to remember the context as well of our classrooms. We have the biggest cl uh, size classes 
in the EU. Now that, now that um, the UK has left the EU, we're now number one. Um, John Boyle likes to refer to them as supersized classes, which is um, something I suppose I'm starting to use in my own vocabulary, which is not a good thing. I'll need to think of something else. Anyway, after all, uh, after all of that, there's a load of appendices, which are actually quite useful, including generic template for a policy statement, a return to work form, very partially filled out risk assessment, which is a bit worrying. I would have loved a little more detail on that. It's the same level of detail as a summer program, which is almost none. Uh, contact tracing log. And then there's a 56 point checklist for school management, which, although it's very long, it's fairly useful. And in fact, the next few sections are also long checklists for various things, such as what to do if there's a suspected case in your school, which is good, uh, finishing with a cleaning checklist. Um, I actually find those very useful. And in fairness of the whole document there, of that one document, those checklists, I think, are going to prove very useful to schools. They're very long, uh, but they're there. Um, and I must say I prefer checklists to waffle, uh, which might surprise you uh, listening to this podcast. <laughs> anyway, all in all, I don't think it's actually a very bad document. Um, there's not a lot new in it. Uh, most, of it could, uh, most of it could have been put together ages ago. In fact, it was uh, for the summer programme. Um, uh, but the big question mark there really, I think, uh, in the document, the controversial thing in this is whether the decision around face coverings. And as I said, it might be the sword that the government will fall on uh, for not doing it. I, I I'm, I have a feeling anyway that might be it. Uh, anyway, thankfully, it isn't the only document because if that was the only document, I think uh, we'd all be very, very cross. Uh, so let's move on to the roadmap uh, for reopening schools. And uh, it is a 51-page monster. We're 16 minutes into this podcast at this stage, uh, so not doing too badly. The roadmap is about the same size as that document. So hopefully we'll come up to a half-hour mark after looking at this. Uh, the one thing government documents have in common is they actually take ages to get to the point. Um, and it reminds me of, you know, to be honest, those reality TV shows uh, that are on. Or they used to, I, I haven't watched one in a long time, so I'm not sure if this is still the case. But I remember when I used to watch these reality TV shows, they spend most of the time telling you what just happened before the break and what's going to happen next since the break. Uh, for, and that takes up most of the time. And then they spend very little time in the actual details of the actual what's actually happening in the show. Um, and it kind of goes uh, basically like like those reality shows. This roadmap goes through a load of theory from NFET about the rationale of the various decisions for the first 19 pages of that document. So I'm going to skip basically 19 pages of the roadmap and get to the good stuff. So by now you should know that this podcast focuses more or less entirely on primary level, but if you missed that, um, I'm, I'm just going to repeat, this document doesn't focus on second level. The only exception to this is when I'm giving out about the fact that secondary schools always seem to get disproportionate funding to primary schools, generally almost double what we get. Yes, the theory is, uh, from the government, I presume, when children turn 13, all of a sudden they need double the amount of heat and light and everything else that uh, primary school children seem to not need. Uh, in fact, you know, I anyway, look, I, I've, I've done a full podcast episode on this, episode two, if uh, people are interested in, in, in listening um, back then. Anyway, I'll probably be doing a lot of giving out about this in this section, but I'll try and stick mainly to what, what we're getting at at primary level. It's all summarised on page 20 of the roadmap as follows. So the range of additional sports that are getting to primary schools are, now I hate the word additional, and I, I, I'm just going to stop here. It says the range of additional, I, to be honest with you, these are the sports we should have anyway, whether we have a pandemic or not. In fact, if we had a pandemic, we should have more than this. But anyway, they're, they're, they're using very happy language here. Um, they're enhancing our minor works grant. So in my, in my translating to me, they're giving us a, 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 a reasonable uh, minor works grant. They're employing an aid. Uh, to help with school reopening logistics, which is interesting. Uh, increased management support to schools. Uh, they're extending the current pilot supply panel for substitute teachers on a nationwide basis rather than this pilot basis that they were doing. And they're giving additional financial supports to provide for additional cleaning, hand hygiene and PPE costs under the COVID-19 response plans. So let's see what this actually looks like in cold, hard cash. So the Minor Works grant is basically doubled. Um, yeah basically it's been doubled. And that's to give schools the ability to adapt schools for COVID-19. Now, this might mean changing a room previously used for a certain purpose to another purpose, such as an isolation room. And personally, I have no idea where these rooms will come from. Of course, uh, unless you're a school in South Dublin, where the NCSE of all places found thousands of spare rooms being misused. Um, 
now, sorry if that swipe doesn't make any sense to you. You'll have to listen to the last episode of this podcast to get it. Uh, if it was around um, is uh, South Dublin and um, special classes uh, opening. Anyway, I think we'll be converting uh, one of our bathrooms in our school into an isolation room. However, as far as I know, and this is only anecdotal, there are very few schools that I know with spare rooms. Another uh, surprise that wasn't in the media was the employment of someone got an aid, A-I-D-E aid, to help with the movement of furniture, setting up hand sanitising stations, signage, training and engaging with parents. Now for most schools this will be two days work, uh, that's schools with less than 300 pupils, and it's five days for bigger schools. And for supersized schools, uh, <laughs> sorry, that's doubles to 10 days. Look, I'm not sure how we're going to be able to hire and train someone for such a small amount of work, uh, but I reckon it kind of falls into ter- uh, territory of probably increasing the number of days a secretary or a caretaker or both might do. Now there's no information on the rate of this pay for this person or how they're even employed, so I presume that's going to come in the next few days. It better come in the next few days because they're going to have to get going pretty quickly. Now I mentioned at the start uh, that finally teaching principals will get their one day a week of uh, admin release time. Um, I imagine this is something that will never be removed again. I I, I would expect this is it. Uh, in some ways, you know, they've done it. We've got one day per week for teaching principals. Ten years of going on and on and on about this and finally uh, we have got our position of uh, teaching principals receiving their one day a week Um, I feel I should go woohoo or something like that but in some ways it's kind of weird and um, it's a bit of an anti-climax um, maybe it's because I'm not a teaching principal but I don't think so I, I, I've been talking to colleagues who are teaching principals and there isn't that much of excitement around it for some reason. I mean, the IPPN have had this on their demand list for so long, it was, it, was, it was kind of almost comical. And as time has gone on, I mean, I suppose maybe the thing is, it, it, you know, we've known for a few years that one day a week just isn't enough. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's strange. Um, I was interested when I was watching Norma Foley, though, at the press briefing last night. Um, I definitely thought I saw a kind of a half wink and the briefest of a of a of a smile, the turn of her mouth when she announced this measure, as if to say, "There you are, no lads." Um, or or maybe it hit her that she is the minister for education that finally got to be the one to finally give the IPPN one of their two demands they've been asking for for the last decade. However, it just doesn't feel like a really good thing, and I I mean I don't know how to compare it, but it kind of feels like you know, a situation or, you know, when, when you know you're a kid, right, and you, you, you know, and you're asking Santa for a present for years and you never got it, like, so, like, you're, maybe you're asking for a PlayStation. I may, I'm going to use this, and it's probably a terrible analogy. So you're looking for a PlayStation from Santa and then 10 years later, you, you finally, you open your present and lo and behold, after 10 years of asking, you finally get a PlayStation. But the only problem is now, everybody has a PlayStation 4 maybe it's not a good analogy. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe maybe there isn't a good analogy. It just feels a bit empty because in reality, principals really need full admin duties while this pandemic is going on. And getting one day a week just isn't really enough, um, pandemic or not. And I said earlier, if it takes a global pandemic with thousands of people dying to get such a basic thing for teaching principals, God knows what it's going to take to get anything else like post-responsibility restored. However, some deputy principals are going to get it, uh, release time too. Uh, schools with administrative principals are going to get some support uh, release time from their deputy principal, which is very, very welcome, I guess. Um, I, I, I would say it's very welcome as an admin principal. See how it changed my tune very quickly when it affects me directly. Uh, but I suppose I wasn't expecting, uh, de- I, don't, I don't think anyone was expecting deputy principals to get release time, and there hasn't been a decade-long campaign about it. So anyway, if you're an eight mainstream class, you get five release days for your deputy principal, which isn't really a lot. Uh, two stream schools get 10 days and three stream schools get 12. Four stream days get 14. Look, it wasn't expected. And I guess, look, you know, it's a welcome little pattern, a welcome little announcement, I suppose. Uh, the next statement is likely to be another sword I think the government may fall on and it's substitute teachers. As I said, we need enough staffing, enough um enough uh, cleaning and enough uh, resource for additional needs uh, but substitute teachers the government for some reason I have no idea why have only promised an extra 200 posts for primary schools for the substitution now remember 
There's 3,200 primary schools in Ireland. So 200 posts means one substitute on average for every 16 schools. Now they've, I, I, I mean, anyway, they've identified 59 different areas for these 200 teachers. Um, and they do state, as work proceeds in establishing the supply panels, further refinements may be made where there are challenges in accessing substitute teachers. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I think they're going to need a, uh, not just refinements. They're going to have to completely rethink it. Next up is cleaning. And for some reason, at first glance, it looks like they're using this really rudimentary sliding scale for this rather, you know, for this, rather than giving money per school or per capita or whatever. And they're kind of using, um, and they're also using a metric of enrollments rather than the number of rooms, which I think would have made more sense. Anyway, this is what you get, or this is what you, this is what you were supposed to get uh, when I was reading it first. Um, if you had up to 60 children, you got 3,780 euro, and it went to up anyway, basically up to 37,800 euro. For, and for someone in between those figures, it was going to be really frustrating. So if you were 10 children off the next uh number you, you would have you know not got that i think in my own case i, I was going to be 10 people short of getting an extra 12 and a half grand like which is a sizable chunk of cleaning um there but anyway uh thankfully uh just before i was about to kick off some stink a circular landed just before lunchtime uh on the government's website saying the cleaning will be on a uh, per student basis of 63 euro per pupil in mainstream classes and 77 euro per child in special classes uh which is which is grand it, that, that 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 helps me so i'm uh, i'm not so uh i don't have to vent I've, I've some vent now to get rid of uh but i'm sure i'll find a way in a minute and um, so if you're a primary school just don't look at the second level figures i mean i i'm just i just just for your own mental health you see i'm all about well-being um that's well-being for you i'll talk about well-being in a while it's so frustrating to see the disparity in every case but for me the most alarming thing uh, when i noted it there and i kind of brushed over it a little bit we get 200 additional posts to cover 3200 schools secondary schools are getting 1000 extra teachers to cover about 800 schools i i, I just don't get it i don't get it um it's it's astonishing. Like how how do they do it? I is what I want to know. I mean, is it like I I can only gather it's representative bodies. I mean, I we've seen how meek our representative bodies have been for the last decade. Um, but and second level seems to be a little bit less meek, but not much less meek. I don't get it. But anyway, that's what's happening. Um, they also get extra money to pay for supervision as well. We get nothing, uh, and bizarrely, a few hundred extra for per pupil. For cleaning, I, I don't know. I mean, why? I mean, I know secondary schools are bigger, um, in general, but not always. You know, this is the thing. Why are they not paying it per room? Um, it just makes no sense. Anyway, we've been here before, and it's up to the INTO and the gang to fight properly for this, which they seem completely incapable of doing. So we'll move on to special schools and classes, which actually got their own section. Um, in fairness, um, unfortunately, it's where things get confusing, particularly for schools with special classes. Um, and the crux of the confusion was this paragraph. Enhanced per capita rates apply for schools attending a special school or attending a special class attached to a mainstream school. Special schools and schools with special classes where there is a teaching principal will receive one release day per week and those schools with an admin deputy principal will be provided with 16 release days. Well, actually, the sentence that it said wasn't that. There's a typo. It means those schools with admin deputy principals will be provided with 16 release days. That's not true. It's those schools with administrative principals in those schools deputy principals provided with 16 release days that's been clarified uh, since i uh, since i i um one of my colleagues uh, clarified that and um, now the uh, the questions i would have had is do teaching principals get extra admin time per week so are they getting is, they already get one day a week so if they have special classes does that mean they get two admin days uh, and two do deputy principals get 16 release days on top of the other ones announced before or are they also inclusive of what's been announced so as i said a principal friend of mine has got on has gone on to clarify this with primary allocations so teaching principals are only going to get one day per week but they will get four extra days in the year which doesn't seem quite a lot uh and I don't really get the logic of it. And deputy principals will get 16 hours in total, whatever the figure was earlier. So that's either good news or bad, or no news for deputy principals. Um, there's an enhanced cleaning grant for special schools, and there's a big table of how much that is, depending on how many teachers are in the school, I think, or how many classes are in the school. Anyway, moving on to more money. Uh, PPE, 
uh, is next. And the government are still in the process of finding suppliers and that should issue soon, which is a little worrying that it hasn't arrived now. Um, apparently there will be COVID-19 capitation ground, uh, but there's no details of how much this will be. Um, so anyway, we'll watch this space and I'll let you know as soon as we hear. On um, For those of you, again, who haven't listened to this podcast, I run on shot.net, which is a website, uh, but it has a Facebook page where I often just share uh, tidbits of information. Right, we'll move on to getting kids to school because that's the next section. There's a section, uh, this section uh, seems to suggest that bus, the transport, first of all, is going to happen as normal with just a few changes. Uh, the few changes really are the pre-assigned seating is going to be a part of it, so you can't sit where you want, and siblings will have to sit beside each other, which I think makes sense, I suppose. Um, it seems only post-primary children will have to wear face coverings, um, uh, despite the fact they don't have to wear them in school. But anyway, I'm not interested in post-primary really there. But in any case, the whole face covering thing is really already very controversial. And it'd be very weird to force children to wear face coverings on a bus if then not wear them in school. Uh, bus escorts are going to be provided with uh, PPE gear uh, that includes uh, face masks and visors. Uh, but again, no details have emerged about that. So if you haven't fallen asleep by now, and I will admit that last night when I was going through these documents, I did fall asleep, and hence why I didn't record this last night, uh, perhaps this next section will do the job for you. Maybe it's just me, but when I see the word well-being in a policy from the government, it makes me feel even more stressed than I did before I saw the word well-being in a government policy document. And basically it looks like there really isn't going to be a proper plan. I, I just, I don't know what it is. And it, maybe it's the problem with well-being in school is that there's way too many agencies attempting to offer it really badly. And very few of them understand what well-being actually means. And more importantly, all of them think that school staff are going to be able to provide the children with the well-being measures that they've divvied up from somewhere. Now I've argued in the past that it's really dodgy 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 ground to expect school staff to take on the roles of counsellors or well-being people or psychologists you know worse and this always appears to be the the assumption that regular teachers um, and some of us are I and mean, most of us are lovely people I mean I'm not good getting away from that most people would agree that teachers are very um, are, are sort of like a third parent or, or even the second parent in some cases and sometimes the the, the only trusted adults that some children have but we're not qualified in in that area we may just be caring people by nature but you know a lot of you won't be surprised here that not all teachers are good at well-being and some of us might be hopeless at looking after children's well-being we could be really good teachers but when it comes to well-being i think you know we have to acknowledge the fact that you're only lucky to get a teacher who is brilliant at well-being and most of us are i mean I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're not, uh, but it, it shouldn't be taken as a given. Let put it that way. Um, anyway, I've, I've, I've basically uh, argued that we shouldn't be doing that. But equally, I've argued that asking teachers to do generic stuff, like this stuff that sounds like well-being, like mindfulness um, and yoga, like sticking on a YouTube video of like nice music and sound jar, sound bells and things like that. Now, I'm, I'm not slagging that stuff off. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but we're not. You know, throwing on a YouTube video doesn't um, ensure that wellness and well-being is, is catered for. I mean, at best, what this, what this section does is ticks a box. And it looks like exactly that's what's happening here in the document. There's a big long list of stuff. And, it, and I don't think, I don't, I, it basically just means, I, for me, government departments just don't understand what well-being actually means. So simply lashing out a big list of things that sound like the well-being is just what we're going to get. And that's what we've got. I'm not confident. Uh, that we're going to get any more than that list. Um, in terms of well-being for staff, it appears there hasn't been any enhancement to the service we've received before the pandemic, uh, and that's no surprise to me. Uh, you still get uh, your cut three rounds of counselling if you need it. There is a 24-hour helpline, which uh, you can use, and people who use it, I mean, in fairness, say it's very good, but I think an enhanced service would have been called for in this case. Uh, this is going to be a very difficult time for teaching staff and school leaders. The route map, uh, the, the, map uh, the roadmap uh, moves on to the curriculum. Um, and what I'm gonna do then is, uh, it effectively is a lot of words, um, uh, uh, and then it links to yet another document, the third document, which is an 18 page document. And I may as well just 
summarize that as quickly as possible um, and and you'll be glad to know of the 18 pages the first five pages are fluff and then there's very general guidelines for several contexts such as re-establishing transition from home to school because that's obviously been got, gone for the last five months helping children with special education needs settle back in junior infants starting off where there have been a lot of, and and there's a lot of external documents and webinars in that section there's not a lot of content in it but there's a lot of links uh, so I'm gonna have to look at those and um, they might be um, it might be a good idea to send them out to parents now um, and families now uh, even before you've read them because there is a lot of them um, I don't know if it's worth the risk of just copying and pasting the paragraph I don't know anyway that's up to individual schools I suppose they'll also look at senior infants moving to first class because they've got an extra hour of school every day now and they give very very loose guidelines on communicating with parents and then finally a paragraph on the student voice and um, the next section of the document is extremely worried uh, no sorry not worried wordy and fairly overwhelming if I'm honest uh, which makes me worried. Uh, however, de however, de uh, before de uh, delving into any further, there isn't really anything in it that you probably weren't doing before. Um, and this is about the curriculum, really. What changes are going to happen to our primary school curriculum? The one thing that jumped out at me was the Department of Education want initially to prioritise literacy, numeracy, that's not surprising, SPHE, not surprising, and PE. I, I, I'm kind of, I don't really understand why PE has now become the fourth most important subject in the curriculum and um, I don't know how it can be done safely either and um, but there it is and um, they also want to discover as part of SPHE RSC and stay safe early in the school year which basically says to me that they have absolutely no confidence that we'll actually still be in the buildings uh, for very long uh, with this current plan if we're going to have to do that very quickly. Anyway, a huge amount of time is focused on SPHE and it's well worth reading this document if you are a teacher. I'm not going to read it for you, sorry. Uh, but to be fair, your entire first term is mapped out for you, which is pretty good. The literacy and numeracy advice is kind of funny. It's fairly loose and the Department of Education seems to keep on trying to flog this dead horse for primary language curriculum. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess they have to. Oh, it's such a terrible curriculum. I don't know. Um, anyway, the Department of Education do go into other subjects like SESE, where the focus is more on local studies. Um, I don't know why. Randomly, that is what they've decided. For visual arts, they seem to want us to focus only on drawing. Um, again, that's probably because of sharing resources. But look, it's better than nothing, I suppose. I mean, it's not a great uh, document. Um, but look, I suppose they didn't give any curriculum guidance, I suppose we would have been complaining. And what they've got there, I suppose, is something. More importantly, in my opinion, uh, than anything else, is inevitably we are unlikely to all be staying in school. And I can't see a situation where schools aren't going to have to close down at some point. And in fairness to the Department of Education, they do have a full section on this. Um, are we getting any extra support for it? Well, you can be sure we won't. So let's look at the situations. There, even now. There's going to be children that can't come to school because they're deemed high risk. Children with severe asthma and so on um, and underlying conditions. Well, it's and respiratory conditions, all that sort of stuff. Well, it's back to what we were doing for the first five months. That's the last five months. That's the plan. It's all remote learning. So that's that's what you'll be doing. There's nothing else being offered. It's exactly the same advice that was in that May 29th document. And what if the schools actually close? Well, Again, you go back to that document in May. So again, what we were doing for the last five months. And then they move on to CPD, which I imagine is the last thing on people's minds at the moment, given how awful it was during the school closures, with a notable exception. I have to say this because I don't like being too negative, really, and certainly when it's not deserved. I think the education centres were amazing. They were brilliant. And effectively, they kept everyone going uh, through all the courses they gave and the innovative way they did them. I, I have to say they should, whoever is involved in education centres, should be put on pedestals and given loads and loads of accolades and money and everything else to carry on. And in fact, I would say, do you know what? They could kick the PDST off uh, and, and send them all back to school and say, education centres, you keep, you take over the PDST. And I, and I, I think basically the PDST need to get a grip, really. I mean, if the education centres could do such amazing work. The PDST need to be ashamed of themselves. And don't talk to me about the PDST technology wing either, because I suppose that's an area that I'm uh, very interested in. I've never, I, I, I've worked for the PDST technology wing for the summer course, and they were very good, to be fair. But in general, in the um, for this pandemic, this was their chance to bring technology to the mainstream. It is still a very specialised thing. It is still okay for teachers to say, oh, you know, Simon, I'm not that great with technology. You're like, what? 
you can't say things like that. You can't say, oh, I'm not that great at Irish or I'm not that great at maths. But it's fairly okay to say I'm not that great at technology. This was the chance for the PDST to come in there and make technology absolutely mainstream so no one could say they weren't any good. And you know what? They balls it up. How they didn't manage to provide a better service, I'll never know, considering they had so many people at their disposable. The webinar they provided, I know it was early in the time, it was just that was all they gave. It was a disgrace, to be honest with you, and they never improved on it. I mean, they could have actually just made another webinar when they got there. I mean, I get at the beginning of this, no one knew what was happening. But when we realised, there was no reason they couldn't have provided uh, better training. It was, um, I mean, I actually could go on forever about this. So I better move on before I get really, really angry. But suffice to say, the Department of Education recommends, <laughs> despite, despite everything, they recommend their crappy webpage that they developed. And to be honest with you, if I was going to recommend anything else, uh, I would go back, I, I would just wait for the education centres again to publish whatever they're going to be giving and I would sign up to their courses. They were super. At least the DS uh, after this, I'm, see, I, I got angry there and I, I, I need something to lighten the mood. And thankfully, the Department of Education do lighten the mood after that with a short and very, very funny paragraph about how they're keeping inspectors busy doing things, you know, you know, you know important things like, uh, uh, like stuff, um, like, like research. That's what they're doing. Now, to be perfectly honest, and I'm not having a go, I actually get on, I think inspectors are, do a great job, um, to be honest, most of them do a good job, and I, I actually see their need. Uh, I, I mean, I think the inspector is... is, is it's, it's a tired and it's a, it's old-fashioned and it doesn't really work. But the actual people working them are very good people. I think they're actually excellent people. But to be honest with you, they have nothing to do now. They're not allowed into schools and they actually are a loose end. And to be honest with you, I think it would have been a very, very good idea because they're all qualified teachers. It would have been a very good idea to throw them into the national sub-panel. And I don't mean that as a derogatory thing. I mean, they should be ready to go back subbing. And I, I as I said, I'm not saying that as a derogatory thing. Like, they're, they're, they don't have anything to do. And I'd say the same for all the people on secondment, um, for the various bodies, um, you know, like the PDST, the NCSC, all those ones, you know, where they were, they're given um, a secondment to train teachers. They don't need them now. Um, back, back to the classroom, I would have, I would have suggested. But anyway, that's not going to happen. Uh, further comic relief comes in section five, where the Department of Education actually pretend they're still rolling out the primary language curriculum with some sort of a plan with it. It's kind of funny. They've been rolling it out for so long. I, th I think they. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'd say it's rolled off the side of a cliff at this stage. It's uh, they also kicked the can down the road of the maths curriculum they've been promising for about five years, um, and they're also giving half days to school, which I don't think is going to go down well with the public. But anyway, they they've noted that they're going to do that for the next few years. So anyway, that's the curriculum. It's not a brilliant document by any means, and I managed to slip that in there. So there's two two out of three documents done at the forty two minute mark, um, and God, I'd love to get in there. Uh, to be honest with you, if I were in the job of the Minister for Education, for the purpose of this podcast, uh, if uh, if I was the Minister for Education, uh, I'd be basically telling te uh, te uh, telling teachers to teach children how to remote learn because that's basically what's going to be happening in a month's time, maybe in a two months time. Anyway. That's the second do of document. I'm going to go back to that, the, the, the other document, the roadmap. Uh, so I'm coming to the end of that. Uh, you'll be glad to hear. Uh, and there's a lot of overlap with what I've just talked about regarding high-risk students and localised schools, uh, school closures. So I won't repeat those. And the rest of the document actually just tells us they're going to keep engaging with stakeholders and they're setting up a helpline for schools, um, which they have done, uh, in fairness, and that's been published. Uh, and there's an 057 number for that. Uh, they also have an email address, which is the thing I've been using, which is called reopeningschools at education.gov.ie. I'm not going to bother giving the phone number because I don't have it in front of me and also you'll never get through. So there you have it. That is the uh, three documents uh, summarised in 43 minutes so far. Uh, that's as quick as I could do it. I'm kind of surprised I was able to do it in less than an hour. Um, there's still a huge number of questions unanswered. But look, they weren't going to be answered at this stage, I suppose, even at best. I had said, as I've said before, we needed more staffing, more cleaning and more support for special education needs. Staffing, I believe, is a lost opportunity. And I, I, this is where I'm going to give my analysis, let's say. I really believe we uh, missed a trick here. Well, when I say we, I mean they. They really missed a trick. Um, and I think one of the most sensible ideas uh, would have been to try out the idea I had for Drihid, uh, five, I'd say four or five years ago at this point, where final year students would be placed full-time in schools for their final year and use them as extra personnel where they were needed and paid at the unqualified rate because they're obviously unqualified and use it as a pilot even like to see if this would have been a good way of doing drid i don't see this as a bad idea i, I know some people have 
uh, have said to me that they they do, that this is similar to skit in the UK. Um, now I don't know much about that. Um, and some people have said that's a disaster. One person, sorry, when I say some, one person pointed this out to me yesterday. Um, I asked him what what did he mean, and I haven't got a reply. But I don't see. I don't, I just think it's a really good idea to have your final year full time in a school, getting all your mentoring, all your supports, yet being part of your college and seeing and and, and actually seeing schools um in real life and planning for them. Anyway, there's zero. We, we didn't do that. Um. So we aren't getting final year students. And there's zero guidance. I'm speaking of which, there's zero guidance for schools on accepting students now on teaching practice. So I don't know how that's going to work out for colleges. I mean, personally, I don't think it's safe to take in extra people for no re for free for no reason. But I'll see what happens. And maybe this will be clarified. Um, and gosh, the more and more I think about this, I think it was a huge mistake. Imagine if we'd actually had this. You know, because there's about twelve hundred extra people available to us in their final year and when we all shut down because that's most likely what's going to happen and like i've said this a few times i think you'll wonder why we didn't do this anyway and um, moving on to the cleaning in fairness the government did step up to the mark with cleaning and i, I think they have i think they have anyway now maybe i'm wrong and maybe i'm maybe because it's such a large amount of money i didn't expect it um I, maybe I'm a bit, I'm quite positive about it. Uh, Garda vetting is going to be a big thing here. Hopefully people will get bored about it as quickly as possible. They'll have to make a move very fast if that's going to happen. I don't know what schools are going to do here because it's pointless giving the job to one person in a big school, for example, because you're going to need a crack team, uh, like one person per corridor probably, because they're going to have to get into classrooms throughout the day and one person isn't going to be enough to do that. Um, anyway, that's I won't say too much about it because it wasn't too bad, to be fair. Finally, I think the government have, again, um, and I, I kind of have to say this, they've let down pupils with additional needs. There's no sign of extra personnel and that's really disappointing. And again, my solution was to pilot a classroom assistance scheme where every classroom in the country was going to get a second adult. Uh, it wouldn't be an SNA. I'm not interested in providing every room with an SNA because it's, it's, it's too expensive, number one, and that job is very specialised. There may not be a need for a special needs assistant. What I'm saying is someone who will just do what the teacher tells them to do. It's like an assistant. It's like a PA, almost, for a teacher. And whether that's working with a small group of children or whatever. And I know that would be expensive. I mean, it shouldn't be as expensive, let's say, as an SNA. And it works quite well in the UK. And I'm not saying it should be like we should be abusing people. Um, but certainly a, a working a working wage would be would be enough, really, in, in uh, for for, the, for this uh, particular job. Um, and it might suit uh, certain people for, for the, you know, because there'll be no planning involved in the job. You come in and you go when the children go. Um, but it would have been a good pilot scheme, I think, this year and would have really, really helped, particularly when uh, when people are sick or when there's a, when someone needs to step out and so on. Um, but anyway, we also remain in a situation, even with SNAs, uh, that children with access to an SNA are screwed, basically. Most children with SNA access share that access with other, several other children in different classrooms or bubbles, as we're now known. Um, obviously, when it comes to the NCSE, you'd expect nothing less from them and less than nothing from them. And they're consistently managing to fail children with additional needs. Even through a global pandemic, they still couldn't come up with any goods whatsoever or recommend any goods. No, no, they sat back and they didn't recommend a single new thing. What they did was somehow manage to keep, make even further cuts to additional needs uh, this year. Congratulations, NCSE. You are still vying for being the position of the worst agency involved in education, vying with Tusla. Um, who seem to be backing away for education, thankfully. Um, it's interesting to note, anyway, how little both of these agencies are mentioned in all these documents, and that's probably because they're offering absolutely nothing to anybody. Look, that's just a summary um, of the documents. Um, I want to explore some of those aspects, maybe a little bit more. I don't want to do it in this podcast because we're um, around 48, 49 minutes, um, and um, really... I, I think I could be here all day doing that um, and, I, and I don't think it's fair on anyone having to listen to my voice for that long. Uh, just talk to uh, anyone uh, who works with me. Um, anyway, I want to, uh, to some things I'll probably come back to. I will do a, a few um, shorter podcasts. Um, I want to dive into areas like now that we have one day a week for teaching principals, what now? Um, how, I mean, I don't know if that's for a pandemic, but I just want to find uh, talk about that at some point. I also want to explore the possible impact of wearing of not wearing face coverings. Well, what's that going to look like? Uh, and I want to explore uh, the inevitability of actually going back to remote learning because I think that's basically what's going to happen. So I think 
in my next podcast episode, I'll probably look at that because I think that's more inevitable. And what I'll do is rather than kind of giving out about that, I'm going to, I suppose, do what I did um, while I was away from this podcast. Um, uh, while I was on the board of directors for the IPPN, I got myself, um, with their help, uh, I got myself access to over, uh, I think over a thousand uh, school leaders in the country uh, at the beginnings of this uh, lockdown where I was able to give webinars and what they could do with remote learning. So I'm going to use some of that uh, knowledge uh, basically back in my podcast. So hopefully it'll um, help people when they are back. I I, I can't see a situation where we're not going to be remote learning. So what we'll do about that. Um, So that's kind of what I'm going to do. Um, And um, look, that's um, the uh, podcast for now. And uh, for for this, it's a summary. And um, I suppose what I'll do is all I've got to do now is say goodbye to you. So uh, cue my little music-y interlude. Yep, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode. A 50-minute summary of the uh, entire uh, documentation that came out um, just yesterday. Uh, If I hadn't fallen asleep on the couch last night, you possibly would have got it uh, sometime at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, But anyway, I suppose late afternoon uh, the next day won't be too bad. Um, Generally, I uh, record these podcasts just in time for Wednesday mornings, which is uh, what I call your midweek slump. It's uh, And generally, I try and cover uh, controversial subjects. Uh, If I were the Minister for Education, some of them hopefully get your blood boiling, uh, whether you agree with me or not. Um, I generally cover um, topics as... um, you know, topics that are that I feel need to be spoken about and probably aren't. Um, and uh, you can listen back to over, I think, 36 episodes over the last while um, on that. And I'll keep going. I'll, I presume I'll get back to those. Uh, episode 38, I think, actually is next. I did episode 37 about a week and a half ago. So episode 38 should be coming soon. Um, anyway, um, I would really, really appreciate you um, finding us on any of your um, podcasting uh, places, iTunes, Spotify, uh, CastBox is what I tend to use on my phone, uh, but any podcasting app will find me. Uh, you can search for Anshaw's Podcast, um, or if I were the Minister for Education, I think Anshaw's Podcast is the one that gets me. Um, I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast if you can, so each new episode will be delivered to your um, uh, software immediately after it's released. Uh, please also feel free to review my podcast so anyone can find it more quickly. That's it. Uh, I'm really glad uh, I've been able to do this um, and um, it's really helped me, I suppose, as a school principal myself um, in trying to figure out what am I going to do next. Uh, There are lots of unanswered questions, um, which I intend to look through as well. Um, And maybe that will be another uh, kind of special podcast for this. So I've got a maybe as I'm thinking and speaking, I'm already thinking of uh, future episodes. Look, uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, Thanks a million for listening. And um, we will see you anon uh, for uh, if I were the Minister for Education. Thanks a million and goodbye. (laughs) 